Welcome to the Family Fright Night Horror Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Family Fright Night Horror Podcast. I'm your host, Chase Will, and I'm joined today by author Judith Sonnet. Judith, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you? Doing pretty well. Uh, long day, still trying to wake up, but <laughs> you know, after oh, about I hear that. <laughs> after 4 p.m., you just can't have any more caffeine. It's kind of just the rest of the day. <laughs> no, I I used to not be the type of person to drink like two things a monster energy drink a day, but sometimes <laughs> I need it. <laughs> that must be how you hit all these damn deadlines. You got several books out. Judith, oh, the yeah. author of Low Blasphemy, No One Rides for Free, The Clown Hunt, Repugnant, and upcoming book Magic. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you got several out there. I'm like, how the hell does somebody do this? Because I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> uh, honestly, I just don't get enough sleep. <laughs> That's the <laughs> only reason why I have so many books out. I feel that. There are nights where I get like four hours and I'm like, man, I could be writing yeah. right now. I'm just going to try to sleep. <laughs> yeah, today we're talking about Zombie 5, Killing Birds, which I thought was an adaptation of To Kill a Mockingbird, but I was very wrong. Oh masterpiece i love zombie 5 so much oh my god is it related to the fulci movie zombie 2 no there's a very italian thing of just like tacking on a popular ip to a movie that they didn't think would sell very well um so like there's a ton of italian movies that are actually like titled as evil dead sequels or sequels to uh house the sean s cunningham produced movie um yeah yeah, so like zombie 2 is only called that because dawn of the dead was called zombie when it was released in italy um and then they just tacked on a whole bunch of other movies afterwards so there's no real connection not even the same producers or studio was involved in zombie 5 and there's there's barely really any zombies in the movie until the end um so I, I tend to refer to it as Killing Birds, but that's not even an accurate title either. <laughs> I mean, there are some birds that get killed. There are. There's a few of them. <laughs> that opening scene alone was pretty fantastic. Like I was watching that, oh. I'm like, this is definitely Italian cinema, just the way it opens. Any movie that starts with multiple murders and then a guy getting his eyes pulled out by birds is just going to be a good movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, the practical effects are still pretty sweet, too. Yeah. What year was this movie? It was a 70s, 80s? Uh, this one was 80s. I want to say 1989. I've actually got the case over here. So let me see if I'm talking out of my ass or not. <laughs> uh, 87. 1987. Wow. That's probably like the golden age for horror movies, too. Oh, yeah. That mid-80s sweet spot. Mm-hmm. So what is it about this movie that drew you in? Like, how did you find this? Because it's pretty obscure. Uh, I'm a big fan of one of its two directors, Joe D'Amato, who actually directed one of my all-time favorite horror movies, which is the cannibal slasher movie Anthropophagus. Uh, So Joe D'Amato has done a lot of sleazy, violent horror movies, and I kind of went on a rampage to find everything that he's directed. Um, And this one, he kind of got uncredited for it. Um, He's the producer and cinematographer, uh, but uh, another guy got credited for directing it, even though Joe D'Amato stepped in more often than not for it. Mm. Um, 
but yeah, my my fascination with his films brought me to it, and I have loved it ever since it was only available on a really grainy and shitty DVD. Uh, but now Vinegar Syndrome has given it a wonderful transfer, which everyone should buy and support. Oh yeah, Vinegar Syndrome is a hero. They have like everything. When I see them at conventions. I get really excited. I adore them so much. They're so nice too. Mm-hmm. Like them and Severin, like they're the people I go to. I beeline at conventions to see what they got. Nice. So this movie, what was your favorite scene in it? What would you say is the quintessential zombie five scene? I guess when I think of it, my like first scene is the uh, the part where all the ornithologists are stuck in the van. And uh, one of them is looking out the window and noticing all these like kind of zombie ghosts approaching them. And then a zombie reaches its hand through a window and drags her out of the van. I love that sequence. It's so atmospheric. It's genuinely like intense, even though this is such a low budget and oftentimes very campy and absurd movie. Um, I actually, I almost did an homage scene to that part of the movie in my book, Torture the Sinners, but it ended up not working out and being deleted from the book. Mm. Uh, but I'd love to love to have a scene someday with zombies dragging someone out of a car in an atmospheric swamp in the middle of Louisiana. <laughs> That'd be pretty sweet. So low budget fun. movies, I take it you're pretty excited for Terrifier 2 then. Uh I I'm hopeful, but I haven't really like hyped myself up on it yet. Um I kind of want to be surprised by it. So I've avoided trailers, I've avoided looking up clips and spoilers. I'm just gonna kind of see it and hope that it wows me because that's kind of what I did with the first movie and I liked it. I'm hoping that I love the second one. I'm betting you probably will. Like I got spoilers out the ass accidentally because I logged on. (laughs) I logged on Rotten Tomatoes just to see what the score was because I get interested in that for some reason. I don't know. But someone's very first line of the review. Yeah, it's kind of like a barometer of, okay, how is it doing? I know I'm going to see it anyway, but I always like to look. But like the first line of someone's review was spoiling a pretty important scene. They're like, oh I can't believe Art the Clown was blank. And I'm like, damn it. That's supposed to be like a reveal. <laughs> well, I'm going to avoid Rotten Tomatoes then. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. Uh, I'm not going to look on anything else because I'm seeing it tomorrow in theaters, which I'm super excited about because it's like an unrated movie. And I've never seen one of those in theaters. Oh, cool. I think the the first time I ever saw an unrated movie in theaters was actually uh, Lars von Trier's The House That Jack Built. Oh, my God. That they had like that. a screening of the uncut version for one night only at my local Alamo draft house. And my friends and I went to see it. That movie disturbs me so much. And it's not even like it's bloody. See, here's but... how warped I am. I think that movie's really funny. <laughs> it was a really dark comedy like you can definitely yeah. see it that way because like the oh, way he keeps getting away with the murders <laughs> really great the whole sequence where he like drags the body behind his car yeah and, and then, then the right rain comes. it rains yeah <laughs> he's like the worst killer ever but he keeps getting away with it <laughs> <laughs> no for me the scene in that movie that really disturbed me was a scene with the mom and her kids i was like oh my god this is yeah heartbreaking. that's like the one scene where they like don't have any real comedy to it it's too dark man i was like lars what's going on in your life are you okay <laughs> you doing okay buddy <laughs> Like the answer made, is no, he's not okay. <laughs> I think he is just like permanently not okay when I see his movies. 
Nice. I also saw uh, Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor uncut. Oh, that was good. And that was even like better. I love that movie. Oh, yeah. Like, give me uncut movies all day, every day. I love seeing what the directors actually want us to see and not just the you know, watered-down version of, okay, take out all the really harsh parts. It's like, no, yeah, leave them in. I want to see parts. what the director did. <laughs> and uh, going off your book... Um, movies, Hollywood. Yeah, it's like Hollywood cutting out the best parts of movies. See, like, we want these. Yeah. <laughs> you said your book, uh, Magic, is related to Zombie 5, right? Yeah, in a roundabout way, magic is connected to Zombie 5, um, only because I've dedicated the whole book to Carlo Maria Cordio, who did the soundtrack and score for the movie. Um, While writing magic, I only listen to scores by him, uh, which means I listen to the scores to Absurd, Pieces, Beyond the Door 3, uh, Witchery, uh, Troll 2 even and Hitcher in the Dark um, Troll 2 and I, yeah I love that movie <laughs> um, <laughs> but listening to his music um, I just let it kind of carry the story where it needed to go this is one I wrote very much as a throwback to like Italian style supernatural weirdness where things would just happen for no reason just because it's interesting or cool to look at and having an italian soundtrack for it really helped like writing with a soundtrack in the background i found is the best way to have background noise because if it's like a song that i know with the lyrics it just kills me yeah i can't listen to anything with words when i'm writing i get too distracted i'm like going down down in an earlier <laughs> round i'm like shit i know this song <laughs> be singing along <laughs> no one wants to hear that <laughs> makes it hard to to just focus on the words you want to make right so what is your writing process like like how do you start off do you outline or do you pants uh i pants i i'm a huge supporter of pantsing mm-hmm. um i uh well like like with magic um i'm a big fan of italian movies and i love that they would just like kind of throw whatever they want into it so my books already kind of don't have much by way of plot um i just kind of like to kind of stitch scenes together and see how they play out and as as long as the characters are interesting i think that that will carry a story more than like a detailed plan of like plot twists and uh genre tropes subversions or whatever other people want to plan out mm-hmm. yeah if i try to plan too far ahead it just muddles me it's like now i know what's going to happen it's not fun anymore yeah and if it's not fun for me i don't think it's going to be fun for anybody reading it yeah because there are books i've read where i'm like i can tell this was a chore for the writer like even if it's yeah. a really good book sometimes i'm like yeah they kind of went through the motions in this scene oh man and like i've had twists in my books but like they're as much a surprise to me by the time i get to them as they will be to the audience i love when that happens oh it's so it's so much fun i think it's like the best part of writing is like when your own work kind of surprises you and it's like i didn't plan this but okay i'm gonna pretend i did (laughs) like oh we're doing this now all right what is your favorite book do you have a favorite one of all time Oh, it's hard to choose. Um, I think it's some, do you mean like of my books or just? 
Oh, just books in general. Like what book made you oh, want to be a writer? Yeah. Uh, so that would actually be Richard Lehman's Endless Night. Um, I was actually recently talking to Craig Spector about how like I read that book when I was in junior high and it totally changed my life because for me, horror had only really been like Stephen King and Goosebumps until I found Richard Lehman and he just like always went for the throat when it came to to shocking violence and content mm-hmm. and while reading it, i was like oh wow i want to write something this unnerving and upsetting and like that's why i've i've been writing extreme horror pretty much since i was in junior high extreme and horror is just I, fun i fucking blame richard layman <laughs> <laughs> have you read uh, the yeah. woods are dark I have. I actually just uh, did a write-up on my Instagram of that one because I reread it. What did you think of it overall? I love that book. Um, I, I do want to find, because I've never read the cut version of it. Mm-hmm. I've only ever read the uncut. I want to see what those differences are because I've heard they're like monumental changes between the original version and what Richard Lehman intended. I can't uh, imagine what the cut it. version would be. Yeah, I mean, there's so much like dick eating in that book. <laughs> <laughs> Literal dick eating. Like, there is literally so much... just like giant mountain man picks up other mountain man and eats his dick off. And I'm like, fantastic. <laughs> Richard Lehman, what have you done? <laughs> and like that ending scene with like all the heads on spikes and stuff and the giant monster. I'm like, oh my God. Oh. Fantastic. That's one I was, I was actually listening to the audiobook while at work. And just going, why haven't they made a movie off of this? And then we get to another rape scene and another dick eating scene. I'm like, oh, that's why. <laughs> I have found with authors like um, Edward Lee and Richard Lehman, that is kind of a thing that happens pretty consistently is a rape scene or some kind of molestation scene. And sometimes yeah. for me, that's like triggering. Like, I just want to skip over this whole part. But sometimes like if it, the plot involves it, and it's really important. Like they find a way to make it work. Yeah, I think like. And I've written so many scenes that are like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I, I've survived through abuse. So sometimes it's cathartic for me to confront it mm-hmm. um, and to feel that kind of triggered reaction. Other times it's kind of cathartic to have it written in an absurd way. And I think Edward Lee does a good job of doing both. Um, Richard Lehman usually hits more of that triggering reaction, but Edward Lee, sometimes it's like you're reading about giant tentacled suckered mouths <laughs> raping people. And you're like, this is sort of funny. <laughs> I was trying to explain that the other day to somebody because they were, I was talking about how I don't like that stuff in movies and books a whole lot because it's just, it, it, it just hurts to watch or read, you know, like you get through a book and you get to like a really heavy scene like that. It's like, Oh man, I know this is fake. I know these are his characters, but Holy shit. I don't want this, but yeah. I was trying to explain to somebody. Cause they were like, wait, don't one of your books have that happen. I'm like, yeah, but it's a demon. Come on. <laughs> I'm like, it's outside the realm of reality. Like there's no way this is like, is heavy, you know? Yeah. I think when it's outside of the realm of reality, like as, as a reader, it kind of makes it easier to handle and just uh, confront in a way. That's always like something I'm kind of sensitive about is I'm afraid someone's going to read something that I wrote where something really horrible happens to a character 
and it it hits them the wrong way. I'm always afraid I'm going to like trigger somebody and yeah. I'm always afraid I'm going to like bring something up in their mind. They haven't wanted to think about in a long time. I think that's like, that's a difficult part of writing scenes like that is I don't want them to be real enough. You know, like I want it to be yeah. real enough that you're still in the story, but not so real that it's like bringing up any sort of trauma the reader's gone through. That's why I put so many trigger warnings on my book. Any book I write, I have like a trigger warning on the front. I have one on the back and I have one on the first page just because like, I really want people to know at this point, it's your responsibility if you choose to read one of my books. Yeah. See, yeah. I tried doing that. I mean, I put extreme horror, splatterpunk. I I renamed one of my book, like book one of the sickening six. I'm like, it's right there on the cover. You know what you're buying. Because <laughs> you somebody someone... complained. Somebody complained and said, the book is way too violent. I'm like, Come on. <laughs> I get complaints about uh, one of the chapters in the clown hunt all the time. Mm -hmm. And I get compliments for that same chapter too. It just depends on the reader. Yeah. I've had somebody say, they're like, dude, I wish you would have gone a little bit darker. I'm like, how dark do you want my shit? Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm never going to make like a Serbian film book, but it comes pretty close to like saw and shit like that. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I think I've I've definitely pushed to the Serbian film level a few times. And then there's other times where I'm just like, I just want to have fun. Yeah. <laughs> a chainsaw just, hooker is like just I want to have like a comic book that I can read with gore and tentacle demons and chainsaws. <laughs> tentacle demons all day. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to feel anything. I just want to have fun when I write chainsaw hooker, but like doing the, the for the sake of books, I have to like mentally prepare for those. Mm -hmm. So you can't have a book called Chainsaw Hooker and not be like, this is just a fun read. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, how would you say the horror scene has changed in recent years? I know Splatterpunk's been on the uprise again. Oh, I mean, I'm still like, as a writer, super fresh to it. Um, so I don't know, like some of the some of the changes are only now just kind of more like um things becoming more popularized like i remember a lot of indie authors back when i was in high school and now there's so many more and it's so cool to see like people just embracing their own creativity taking advantage of like how easy it is to self-publish nowadays and putting their stuff out there and having sites like Godless, which encourage people just running without any reins and like not feeling they have to write for a mainstream audience. Um, mm. So it's just like, it feels like it's become its own niche, but it's still a little bit more popularized of doing this splatterpunk shit. Oh yeah. Like Godless yeah. puts the punk in splatterpunk. Oh, I love Godless. Those those guys are awesome. Everybody oh, yeah. involved in Godless is great. It's just fun. Like you go on there, you can find all these books for like 50 cents. I'm like, holy shit, like yeah, books have never God. been so great and affordable. <laughs> it's like there's no excuse to not go on there and find a book. Listeners, if you want to find a book and you're complaining that there's no way I can just go on there and find one for like 20 bucks or less, I'm like, go to Godless. They're all affordable and they're all fun. Get some of the best fucking books you'll ever read for like a dollar over there exactly it's a steal and and i'm on there <laughs> oh nice <laughs> not, yeah, not subtly uh, pushing my book listeners if you're listening to this uh buy mukbang princess by rain, rain havoc buy that <laughs> i need to read that because it just sounds funny oh, 
Fucking read it. Yeah, it's great. So what was uh, what your favorite book that you've worked on? What's been the most challenging one that you're so proud of? I think For the Sake of Two is kind of my answer for both of that. Um, doing a sequel to an indie book is kind of a big risk, and it's still kind of taking people a while to find it. Mm. Uh, but I think some of my nastiest shit is in that book it's one of the most disturbing things i've ever written i'm like still mentally recovering from having have written it um i i really just love working with the characters that are in that book and i i feel like they felt more alive than any other book i've written um so if if you haven't read for the sake of two make sure you read the first one uh, part three is going to come out next year. Who is the most influential writer for you? Well, Richard Lehman obviously got me started. Um, and I, I owe a lot of everything I've written to him. Uh, Brian Keene was a big deal when I first started reading Splatterpunk and extreme fiction. Uh, Ryan Harding with the genital grinder collection <laughs> great influence on me <laughs> i love his writing so much genital he, grinder oh my god he walks that perfect line between being absolutely hilarious and genuinely sickening his books are great for me uh, it's like if a book is sickening it's like that's part of the fun is getting queasy yeah. and be like oh shit <laughs> can i really turn the page now in general grinder, there's so many times where it's like, oh, this has to be the worst part of the book. And then you turn the page and it's something way more foul and abhorrent. Oh God. Yeah, Ryan Harding's awesome. Fucking sweetest guy you'll ever meet, too. He's always so like shocked that people like his books. And I'm like, it's because <laughs> they're amazing, dude. <laughs> That's what I found is in the horror community, especially the people who write like these hardcore, nasty, disgusting books are some of the sweetest oh, people yeah. you ever meet. They're all wonderful sweethearts. I love them. <laughs> They're so like encouraging too. It's like if you ask them a question about writing, like they won't give you some bullshit answer, like, you know, just go do it. Fuck off, go away. It's like they'll yeah. sit and talk to you, and that's really amazing. It's like they're happy to be where they're at and they love what they do. It's like, it's not just like another thing in their life. It's like, no, this is them. You're getting completely them. I, uh, I went to killer con this year and it was just so lovely meeting all these people like Candace Nola, Russell Holbrook. Um, I love Candace. And Candace is amazing. She's actually editing one of my, uh, my bigger books I'm working on right now. And I hope she just, tears it to shreds i can't wait to see what <laughs> it does with it. um but yeah lucas mangum john skip and i shared a table and it was like the most positive experience of my life just like hanging out with two people who love what they do and love talking about it with other people it's always fun too having those conversations with them because it's like i admire your work and we're just talking as fans oh i know it's crazy <laughs> So it's just like people... any other field, like these people are as accomplished as these authors would like want to feel like they're above it all. But everybody is just on the same level, no matter if they're like writing just random short stories that they're publishing for free or like winning awards. I've never met one person in the community who is like, I'm above you all. It's like, no, they're all such just nice dudes. 
and women yeah. and like nice everybody. I don't know. I said nice dudes. Now I got to kind of back up. <laughs> well, we've been talking about a lot of dudes. <laughs> There's a lot of dude names. Yeah. But uh, where can everybody yeah. find you online? Are you on Facebook, social media? I am. Yeah. Um, Facebook and Twitter under Judith Sonnet. Um, but on Instagram, I go by full time horror junkie. Uh, that's kind of where I started with doing movie reviews and I do less of those now because I'm so focused on the writing and reading side of things, but I post reviews on there. Are you also on that, um, app, the film one where you can rate movies? I am on letterbox. Letterbox. That's it. Under full-time horror junkie, I believe is the title I go by there. Oh, that's a fun one. I love that. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I, I mean, people wonder how much, uh, how I'm able to find any time for writing because <laughs> all I do is rate movies on there. <laughs> I've gotten that comment before. It's like I finished binge watching Dahmer and someone's like, shouldn't you be writing right now? I'm like, ah, you're killing me. Stop it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Let me have fun sometimes. <laughs> like sometimes I need to watch some trash. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen that show, Dahmer? I have not. I actually don't have Netflix at the moment. Um, with streaming services, there's just so many of them. I've kind of decided, like, I'm going to choose one per, like, month, focus on whatever's on that, and then move on to another one the next month. Mm-hmm. That's uh, the way so to right now, it. I'm back on Shudder, and I'm, I think I'll go on Netflix and watch Dahmer next month uh, after spooky season is over. And then I'll go on Hulu and check out whatever they've got on there. Oh, the new Hellraiser is going to be on there this week. Oh, yeah. My friends and I are planning on having a movie night for that. I'm excited. I've only heard good things about it. I'm really excited. Um, Yeah. I mean, since they announced Jamie Clayton was taking over the role of the Hell Priest, I've just been so hyped for it. Some people are complaining about that. I'm like, have you not read the book? It's People like are it, wrong. <laughs> right. It's like, no, there's opinions, then there's wrong. It's like you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's just the fact that Jamie Clayton is perfect casting for that mm-hmm. role. I've only heard good things too. Like even Doug Bradley said, like she nails it. Oh, I love him. He's just awesome. <laughs> oh yeah. Doug Bradley is uh he's the man. <laughs> I would I would love to meet him someday. It's I've got the the list of like horror icons i want to meet and talk to and he's he's near the top i think i would freeze up i'd be like yeah. you're the, the bradley i like ah can i buy you you're, the guy. you're the guy <laughs> <laughs> you 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 i've seen you <laughs> i'd be like chris farley in the old snl skit be like remember that time you had the box that was cool <laughs> that was cool Well, Judith, thank you so much for joining. It's been a blast. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. All right. You have a great day now. You too. 